While tackling your New Year's goals, don't forget about your daily dose of fruits and vegetables, which just got easier to remember thanks to Balance of Nature. Their fruit and veggie capsules offer a convenient way to consume those essential nutritional ingredients daily. So improve your diet and feel your best this year. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code WIRE for 35% off, plus a free fiber and spice in your first order as a preferred customer. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code WIRE. We were right when we said Trump's Russian collusion was a hoax, but they called that a conspiracy theory. We were right when we said COVID came from a Chinese lab, but they called that a conspiracy theory. We were right when we said Hunter's incriminating laptop was real, and they called that a conspiracy theory. Now, they're trying to convince us it's a conspiracy theory that Taylor Swift is a CIA agent trained to create a green screen psyop that looked like a successful music tour so she could then pretend to fall in love with Pfizer plant Travis Kelsey while he disguised himself as a tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, whom the deep state has constructed to win a make-believe Super Bowl choreographed by the same George Soros team that faked the World Trade Center attacks using the very crisis actors who pretended to land on the moon so that Taylor Swift could then endorse Joe Biden for re-election and the Democrat Party could plausibly flood the polls with android Swifty voters and steal yet another election from Donald Trump. You can fool us once, my friend, but try to fool us a second time and we'll start babbling gibberish and sticking our heads so far up our own asses we'll be able to fart through our ears. The only thing real about this whole scenario are those nude pictures of Swift having sex with a German shepherd. I mean, think about it. If those pictures are some kind of deep fakes, how come the German shepherd looks so happy and is singing You Belong With Me under his breath? Clearly, Biden has found the key to winning back the voters. Yes, he's in such a late stage of dementia, his eyeballs roll around because even he can't believe the unintelligible nonsense coming out of his mouth. He's crammed our cities with unidentifiable illegal migrants, any hundred of whom could turn out to be terrorists. He's encouraged tyrants to spread war throughout the world by his fueling weakness and stupidity. But none of that matters because he's tweeting about Elmo. Who doesn't love that ticklish little furball? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, Clavin, you spritzing soda siphon of satiric silliness. Where did you come up with the imaginative originality that allowed you to conceive of a president so idiotic he thought he could cheer up the country he's demolishing by quoting a plush toy? But no, I'm not making this up. With our soldiers being murdered and our border being invaded and with one war after another spinning out of control, Biden posted on X, quote, and so help me, I did not make up a single word of this quote. I know how... Hard it is some days to sweep the clouds away and get to sunnier days. Our friend Elmo is right. We have to be there for each other. Unfreaking quote. Don't you feel better now? I know I do. Every time I start to despair about our crumbling nation, I hear that furry little red guy's high-pitched giggle, and I think to myself, well, at least the president is too demented to know what's happening, so there's still one person in the country who's not depressed. If all the Americans who love Taylor Swift and all the Americans who love Sesame Street can just get together, we'll soon be holding hands and singing the alphabet while sleeping with a seemingly endless series of gigolos. Either that or we'll be singing about sleeping with gigolos while sitting with children who tickle us in order to hear us make that stupid giggling noise until you just want to remove the batteries while the child is in the bathroom and then gently explain to her when she comes out that Elmo won't be giggling anymore because he's gone to a better place. In conclusion... With the West on the brink of destruction and World War III about to start, it's time to stop messing around with nonsense like endorsements by pop stars and puppets and turn to the serious business of making sure gay pornography is available to kindergartners. Otherwise, people are going to begin to get the idea that America is not a serious country. (laughs) Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. All right. Well, here we are. You know, you know how I always tell you I give you tomorrow's news today. So for years, I've been saying we're laughing our way through the fall of the republic. Now everyone is laughing its way through the fall of the republic because we've become utterly ridiculous. 
But that makes this an excellent time to subscribe to my personal Andrew Clavin YouTube channel. You will get all kinds of exclusive content. We'll wrap it in deep fakes of a nude Taylor Swift so Mark Zuckerberg won't think you're getting anything conservative. You get this exclusive content, and we put up anything we do there, including the interviews, which are also available on audio. Last week's interview was with Andre Archie, uh, the author of The Virtue of Colorblindness. And this week, we're going to have uh, Jeffrey Anderson, who was Trump's former director of the Bureau of Justice Statistics, on what the stats tell us about the state of the nation. But right now, let's get to today's episode. Taylor Swift loves President Elmo. So... We're going to talk about Taylor Swift and Elmo and uh, social media bad guys like Mark Zuckerberg and this absolutely insane decision on the lawsuit against Donald Trump. But first, I I want to tell you something uh, personal, which I don't usually do, but today I want to talk to you about something genuinely awful that happened to me this week. On Monday, uh, I had a great day. Great day on Monday. I, you know, sold a, a really one of my best, I think maybe my best short story to one of the few magazines that still buy short stories, the best magazine. I was writing. I could just tell my writing was really working. I had some wonderful conversations with friends. And uh, I was I was even happy for Ben that with his top rap song, I saw him put out this thing that he would call himself Dr. Dreidel, which I thought was one of the funniest things he'd ever said. And uh, I, I like to see, I like Ben. I like to see him have a good time because I know it doesn't come naturally to him. And so I was really feeling good. And um, finished the day, went to go downstairs, and slipped and fell down a flight of stairs. Now, when I say I fell down a flight of stairs, think of the movie scene where the guy dies by tumbling head over heels down a flight of stairs, and he breaks his neck at the bottom. That was the kind of fall I took all the way down a flight of stairs. Now, I've, I've been an outdoorsman all my life, and I've fallen off everything. I've fallen off cliffs. I've fallen out of trees. I've fallen off rafts into white water. I've fallen, uh, almost fell to my death off a frozen waterfall once, and I've fallen off water skis. I've fallen off everything. And there's always this moment when you're falling when you know that you have no control and whatever is going to happen is going to happen. It's a terrifying, absolutely helpless moment. It's the moment in the movies where the guy starts screaming because he's falling 60 stories. He goes, ah, you know, because he knows. He knows this is out of control. And I was trying, I mean, if you ever saw Angels with Dirty Faces, I was trying to grab hold of the banister, like Cagney trying to grab hold of the radiator and Angel with Dirty Faces, and I just lost it, and I started tumbling head over heels. And I actually had that moment and had time to think, Jesus Christ, I'm going to break my neck and die. And I wasn't taking the Lord's name in vain. I was just letting him know I'd be home for dinner. <laughs> I just wanted to set an extra place at the table. And uh, hit the ground, and all I can tell you, all I can tell you is when my work is going well and I actually feel that I'm doing what God sent me to do, that's when I get bedeviled. And so I don't know who shoved me down the stairs because I wasn't drunk or anything like that. I was holding onto the banister. I was absolutely alert. But I just slipped, and angels must have attended me. Truly, God sent his angels to uplift me and make sure I didn't stub my toe in a stone because I got up there. I was bleeding. I was kind of, you know, you see a little, if you can see this, I got this. I have this all over my body. I've got bruises and uh, cuts all over my body. And I was bleeding. I was dazed. But I was fine. You know, I, I was fine. And the next day, I'm still in pain, but it's a lot better. And uh, But it did bring something home to me. It was a reminder. The reason I'm talking about it is not just to talk about it. It's because it actually brought something home to me which is that stupid politicians you will have with you always, but the son of Clavin you will not have forever. And when I sit around and talk about the fact that something is ending now, which I think is true, what I mean is me, my generation, we are passing away. And hopefully I'll be here for a while. I, you know, I love it here and I'm having a great time. But, you know, these things end and this is the end of something. And it doesn't, if, if this next election is between Trump and Biden, that's the that's an election between two things that are done. I know you don't like to think this, but it's done. That Biden and this woke stuff, it's just the flaming madness of the failure of 1960s leftism. It is the failure of the great society, the failure of the welfare state, the failure. You know, we, my generation, we took all the money that our parents had made and we spent it on make, saving the world and making everybody equal and no one's equal and the world's not saved and the money is gone. This thing has failed. It's done. This thing with the woke and we're going to turn go- boys into girls and every we're going to hire on a quota to make sure none of the white folks get in. Just the, This is just the sign of the failure of that philosophy. It is over. Trump, too, 
is the sign of something that is over. You know, we had this kind of harsh truth conservatism where we were going to tell you the way it is, and it was an attempt to hold on to a way of life that we saw was dying, that was being taken away from us, the way of life that we thought was the pinnacle of America in the 50s and early 60s, and now it's unraveling. It's gone. It's not coming back. And all Trump is is the affect of that philosophy. He's the harshness. He's the belligerence. He's the defiance, some of which is good. I'm in favor of defiance, but he has no faith. He has no theory of constitutionality. He's not defending anything that we were trying to defend, like getting rid of the welfare state. He's not getting rid of anything. He, he, you know, these intellectuals who try to make a theory out of Donald Trump are kidding themselves because they're trying to do what they did for Reagan, where the intellectuals sort of supplied the theory of Reaganism and Reagan did the work. They're trying to do that with Trump, but it's ridiculous. Trump is an empty. The only thing inside Donald Trump is Donald Trump. And this has nothing to do with whether you think he should win the election or whether you love him or hate him. It has nothing. I'm just telling you, he is the end of something, not the beginning. And a new generation, Gen Z, is coming up, and they're younger than my son. You know, these are little, little people, and they're different than my son and and the the next generation, even after mine, because they're digital natives and they were born pretty close to the moment when the iPhone just became ubiquitous. And so they're, they live in a world that's different than ours. And they think people like me are the past. They think we're this little... Uh, ice flow, this melting ice flow of boomers sitting around talking about things like reading and becoming educated and having uh, civil debates instead of just screaming at one another and uh, democracy, liberalism, liberalism, the idea that people should be, all those things are, are done and we're just kind of fading away and we're kind of getting in the way by discussing things that aren't happening anymore. But that's actually only a half truth because when the, this, is, this is a moment of Deep transition, big transition. And, and history tells us that at big moments of transition, that big moments of transition are fraught with peril and they're fraught with possibility. So you have the Reformation, you're going to get Shakespeare, but you also get the Inquisition and religious wars. You know, you get the Enlightenment, you get the United States of America, but you also get the French Revolution and this world war, you know, this war throughout Europe, the Napoleonic Wars. You get modernity, you get science and invention and the American century, but you also get World War I and II and, and the death of Europe. The greatest civilization that ever existed on Earth was the civilization of the continent of Europe from 1500 to 1950. Nothing has come up close to that, not even the Greeks, which was the closest thing we had. It's gone. It was just gone. So you have these things that end and begin, and it's a violent process. It's a violent process. And one of the greatest tools you have are the sorts of old people who understand that everything goes away, everything ends. The world is Maya, it's an illusion, it just comes and it passes away, and that you can't hold on to things, but you can guide the change as it goes forward into a future that is something better. So, before I fall downstairs for the last, last time, I'm gonna talk about the ephemeral things of the day. I think we're all interested in those and they're absolutely gripping. But in the final chapter today, I wanna give you four quotations that I think will give you a genuinely fresh idea about what's happening in this moment. So let's get to it with chapter one, Tickle Me Taylor. Beam's Dream Powder. I love this stuff. You know, the best sleep I get is the first sleep I got, and Beam's Dream Powder just sank me into sleep. No kidding. It contains a powerful, all-natural blend of ingredients, including magnesium L-theanine. That's what did the trick. I don't know, but that's what it's got. It's not just your run-of-the-mill sleep aid. It's a concoction carefully crafted to help you slip into the sweet embrace of rest without the grogginess that often accompanies other sleep remedies. And it does. Sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health. You must have a consistent nighttime routine to function at your best. Today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, their best-selling hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar, now available in delicious flavors like cinnamon, cocoa, chocolate, peanut butter, and mint chip. Better sleep has never tasted better. Just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir or froth, and enjoy before bedtime. If you find yourself battling the bedtime blues, give it a shot like I did. Your weary self will thank you like mine did. If you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, take advantage of their New Year's sale for 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash Clavin and use code Clavin at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash Clavin with my promo code Clavin for up to 40% off your order if and only if you can spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. 
So I am a football fan. We're going to talk about Taylor and Travis Kelsey. I, I do love uh, the NFL. I love the games anyway. And, and I always, I, I've been a wanderer all my life, so I don't really have a hometown. So when I pick a team, when I'm watching sports, I pick a team that interests me and has usually has great players on it. And one of the things that always interests me is, is two players who are kind of different personalities, but who work really well together. So I was really, I love the 86 Mets with Keith Hernandez and Gary Carter. I, I love the not. Lakers with Kobe and Shaq, uh, the Patriots, Patriots uh, in football with Brady and Gronk, and now I follow the Kansas City Chiefs. I was joking with David Cohn, the sports guys, that uh, I was enjoying watching the Chiefs and Bills fight for the right to get beaten by the Ravens. But in fact, when they played the Ra- Ravens, you know, Lamar Jackson's a great, great quarterback, but he was up against an Olympic Olympian god, you know, and he just cracked. You could see it. He just couldn't understand why his greatness could not get past this guy who was just not of this world. The best game of the year, the Chiefs-Ravens, and now they're going, Chiefs are back going to the Super Bowl. Somewhere during the season, as I'm watching the game, I notice they're cutting away to the stands to look at Travis Kelsey's girlfriend, who happens to be the most popular pop star in America. And I'm thinking, hey, I'm watching the game here, like, you know, cut away twice and that's it. But it was like 16, 17 cuts. But I realized, of course, that now suddenly women are watching the NFL in droves just to see Taylor cheer for Kelsey. They are obsessed with this affair. They are absolutely obsessed. And I'm thinking, you know, Swift is always sleeping with some, some jackass. You know, why, why is this interesting? So I decided for an answer, instead of trying to come up with an answer about what women are thinking, which is a, that's a ridiculous thing to try to do, I would turn to an official girl. And so I went to my friend, Carol Markowitz. She's a mom and a columnist for the New York Post. And she moved to Florida, so I just assumed she'd been eaten by an alligator. But no, in fact, she's got a her own show on iHeartRadio, The Carol Markowitz Show. And my whole family's been on it. And she discussed what this affair means to women. She talked about how women themselves, they can't stop watching. They're asking, why are we so fascinated by this? And this is what she had to say. This is cut one. Probably the most viral clip of this relationship is when the couple pulls up to Emilio's Bellato's, a restaurant in New York City, and he moves her security guard away from the car door to open it for her. And he does it in kind of this like, I got it from here, a kind of motion. Women swooned. Why? Because it's manly and you like that. You want a man to behave like a man. You want the guy who opens the door and protects you and makes you feel safe. But worse is you've been tricked into believing you don't want that. And you've been tricked into believing that that guy, the provider, the caretaker, the one who makes you feel like a woman, that liking him is somehow anti-feminist. So she goes on to say, too, that men are only too happy to give up that role because it's hard. It's hard to have to do the driving and the making the money and all that stuff and taking care of people. And you're the guy who gets punched when your wife gets in a fight with some guy. But women, that's what women want. They want a strong man, strong in body or strong in heart. You know, you don't have to be a, a Travis Kelsey. He's just representative of that. They want somebody to care for them. And the model for that relationship, I was just talking to Jordan Peterson about this, Beauty and the Beast, the rough, powerful beast. But for her, he's a prince. You know, he's a rough, powerful beast, but she, her love, his love for her transforms him into the prince. And in fact, the hype in this hypersexualized age Fifty Shades of Grey is that story. They play at sexual domination, but in the end, they're they're playing, and in, at the same time, they're having ch- children together. Now, sexual fantasies are a kind of story that we tell ourselves. They're not real life. Stories tell us about real life, but you have to translate them in real life. And in real life, you re- what you're really looking for is, are the spiritual versions of these things. You don't need a man to beat you up to show he's strong. That's just a, a fantasy. That BDSM thing is a fantasy, but it's not actually what you're looking for because it hurts and it can be very unpleasant. So that fantasy can either be transformed into a reality that has no moral base, like Andrew Tate, oh yeah, I sleep with women and then I use them to make money by exposing them sexually, or it can be Travis Kelsey putting a protective arm around Taylor Swift. It's beautiful because he is protective of her, he is the man in the relationship, but she's also a fully expressed human being. You can't say she's not. She has her career, but it's it's the most important thing about her career is that she's expressing herself through her song. In other words, this moment, this relationship is part of a conservative cultural opportunity, not a political opportunity. I know Taylor Swift, a pop star, she doesn't know anything about politics, so she's going to support Biden. I get it. I get it. And he did an ad for Pfizer and, well, these are the important. 
But culturally, this is imagery that works for us. Now, the left is losing the culture war. It's, it's retreating in the culture war. You can see it all over. Their movies bomb. Their movies are bad. No one cares what they think about transgenderism. No one's interested. We Their companies die when they put transgender people on their soda cans and all this stuff. And we know they're evil. Everybody knows now they're evil and wrong. Even the Democrats, the mid, mid-range de- Democrats know it. But we have to take advantage of that moment, right? I mean... It's one thing for Ben to be the top rapper in the country. It's hilarious, and it's a wonderful joke. I, I thought it was absolutely—when he said Dr. Dreidel and Jupac, I almost fell out of my chair. I thought that was so funny, and that's great, because if you're not having a good time, you're not appealing and you're not doing anything. But, you know, Taylor Swift has, has kissed a lot of froggy Andrew Tates, and now maybe we should be happy that she is providing us this imagery that we support and know is is right. Instead, what do you have? You have Vivek Ramaswamy, who I told you is a very talented, eloquent opportunist, and he says he says it's a conspiracy. I wonder who's going to win the Super Bowl next month, and I wonder if there's a major presidential endorsement coming from an artificially, culturally propped up couple this fall. Just some wild speculation over here. Let's see how it ages over the next eight months. What do you mean culturally propped up? Women love this person. They crowded those st- stadiums when she was doing her Eras tour. Now, take the win. Take the win. We're so angry all the time at every little passing illusion that goes by, that comes and goes. They, the, the left doesn't care about transgender people. They don't care about gay people. They don't care about black people. They care about the power, man. That's all they're after. And that's always going to be represented by different things. It's the power we're after. Stop. We're, that's what we're trying to stop is the power. You remember all those endorsements of Hillary Clinton by Hollywood stars? We were begging, please, Hollywood stars, endorse her. We love it when you endorse her because nobody cares. Taylor Swift came to Tennessee and endorsed Marsha Blackburn, Senator Marsha Blackburn's opponent. I can't remember his name. It was something like Bresden or something like that. And Marsha smushed him. It was like 10 points, 11 points she beat him. The left is losing the culture, but we can't win it if we're just so angry at every little bubble that goes by for the current day. It's not that we shouldn't stop transgenderism. Of course we should. It's dangerous and evil. But that's the rage, and we're constantly playing defense because we're constantly focused on what we're they're doing instead of creating our own stuff. You know, the Democrats have nothing. Iran murdered three of our soldiers, two of them women, and this lonely outpost in the Jordan. One of our drones was returning, and an Iran-backed militia, you know this story, I'm sure, sent in a drone, and they got confused, thinking it might be our drone, but it was their drone, and attacked. And all these people were, uh, soldiers were hurt badly, and three were killed. But, but there's been 160-plus attacks on American shipping, on American outposts, on American places, and the Biden administration is so weak, and they're doing nothing, and they're doing nothing because of their theory of governments, because of Barack Obama's... Look, they removed the sanctions Trump had in place. The Iranians are now swimming in money. They're using that money to attack us because of Barack Obama's idiot, anti-Western, anti-colonial, anti-American theory that we should turn the running of the Middle East over to Iran and they'll destroy Israel for us and we don't have to worry about that anymore. It's the same theory that has the left supporting the monsters of Hamas. It's it's nonsense. It's evil. It's wicked. It's anti-American. It's cutting the branch that we're sitting on off of the tree. So to, to be fair, the president did issue a statement. This is cut three. Yesterday was yesterday, and tomorrow is not until tomorrow. <laughs> today is the only day that can be today. How do you think we should celebrate? Hmm. Oh, Elmo knows. Let's do a today cheer. Ready? Follow along with Elmo. Here's to today. Hip, hip, hooray. Here's to today. Hip, hip, hooray. <laughs> That's President Elmo, right? This is our, this is our president. Elmo puts out a, a tweet, an ex post, I'm sorry, says, Elmo, I can't do the voice. I can't get my voice up that high. Elmo is just checking in. How is everybody doing? And everybody starts to say, they have what they call a trauma dump. We're depressed. Everything is coming apart. Everything's falling apart. People on the left, people on the right, everybody was totally depressed. So Elmo, a puppet, a guy who is basically a man's hand on a funny voice, says, wow, Elmo is glad he asked. Elmo learned that it is important to ask a friend how they are doing. Elmo will check in again soon, friends. Elmo loves you. Hashtag emotional well-being. The president of the United States, who was supposed to be in a meeting with the Joint Chiefs of Staff, figuring out how to blow Iran off the face of the earth, he posts, I know how hard it is some days to sweep the clouds away and get to sunnier days. Our friend Elmo is right. And by the way, when they put this in the press, in the, that it, tweet in the pr- papers, 
they don't put in the Elmo is right. They cut it out because it makes him sound like the idiot he is. Even though it's hard, he says, you're never alone. It's true, you're never alone unless you happen to need a president to defend the country, then you're screwed. So here's the thing. The left has all this cultural power, all these cultural apparatus. Here is Stephen Colbert on the Taylor Swift conspiracy, and this was used to lead in to a CNN report. So it's it's one venue using another venue so that they have this rolling effect of cultural power. Here's Colbert cut four. The Taylor Swift Super Bowl isn't making everyone happy because right-wing dinguses like Vivek Ramaswamy are claiming this whole thing is a conspiracy, suggesting that the Super Bowl will be rigged for the Chiefs to set the stage for Taylor Swift's Biden endorsement. What? That's whack, Jack. Come on. So, and then, of course, there's Colbert's attack on Biden for tweeting a puppet, a man's hand with a voice, a funny voice attached. That's what the president of the United States is doing. Oh, no, there's no jokes about that. There are no jokes about that. Look it up. You'll find the only person joking about it is the Daily Wires, people like us, because they have all this apparatus, because they're in a culture fight. See, this is the thing. Someone is fighting the culture war and losing the left. Someone isn't fighting the culture war at all, which is the right, because we haven't got the joy. We haven't got the joy and understand who we are because the thing that we believed in is slipping away and there's no way, there's no way to bring back, we're not going back to the 50s. I've been saying this for, since I started this podcast. It is not happening. That's not the way things work. You don't go back. You have to go into the future. And if you don't fight for the future, you can't win. Gedefy, my Gedefy shoes showed up last night. I tried them on just so I could talk about them on the show. Incre- they look great, but good footwear is about more than fashion. What you wear on your feet matters to your health, comfort, and well-being, and these things are incredibly comfortable. Choosing footwear that provides support for your daily routine is important, and now incredibly easy thanks to Gedefy shoes. Gedefy shoes are anything but ordinary, while others have clung to shoes featuring a run-of-the-mill memory foam sole. Gedefy offers a patented sole construction meticulously designed to bring the pep back to your step. I didn't know that, but now I know. Gedefy shoes aim to foster healthy body movements, alleviate pain, and prevent further wear and tear. This isn't just about absorbing shock. When I wear these Gedefy shoes, it's like the shoes are giving you a high five with every step boosting me forward. No, they really do feel incredibly comfortable and they kind of make you stand better and everything. I'm going to try them out over the weekend long term and I'll get back to you. But trust me, you'd want to be part of this revolutionary journey. I'm thrilled that I've gotten these shoes. Don't just take my word for it. Explore the multitude of reviews and testimonials from individuals who attest to the miraculous impact of Gedefy shoes on their lives. Available on the Gedefy website and social platforms. Your feet deserve more than just another pair of shoes. Right now, use code CLAVEN for $30 off orders of $150 or more at Gedefy.com. That's G-D-E-F-Y.com with promo code CLAVEN for $30 off your purchase of $150 or more. Experience the miracle that is Gedefy where comfort meets innovation meets people who know how to spell Clavin so they can get this deal. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. No ease. I just make it look this easy. There are no easy Chapter two, the Z stands for SADS. So Elmo asks how everyone is, and everyone is sad because, of course, the country's not doing well. And it's, you can hide, the media is trying to hide the fact that it has leftist policies that's causing it not to do well, but it's not doing well. And, of course, the kids, the young people, Gen Z, are sadder than anyone. A survey by Gallup and the Walton Family Foundation just came out on Monday. This is actually a long-running survey that they publish every now and again. It's come out on Monday. Uh, asked questions of young people over time and looked at how their answers have changed. Members of Gen Z ages 12 to 27 are significantly less likely to rate their current and future lives highly, more than millennials were when they were the same age. Uh, Among those 18 to 26, just 15%, 1.5% said their mental health was excellent. That's a large decline from both 2013 and 23, when it was just over half said so. So from 50%, 51% to 15, the numbers actually turned around. So why? 2012. 2012 is the dividing point. I think the iPhone came out in maybe 2008, but 2012 is when more than half the people had iPhones. It just was, that's, that's the cutoff day when every, 
thing changed. And we've talked before about the psychologist uh, Jean Twinge, I think it's pronounced. I've sometimes said Twinge, but she wrote a book called iGen, basically saying that this is when kids started spending their time online instead of with living human beings. They were with living human beings, but the living human beings were online. And here's what she says the results are, cut five. Are teens who spend a lot of time online thriving or are they struggling? Well, they're more likely to not sleep enough. They are 71% more likely to have at least one risk factor for suicide, such as, such as feeling sad or hopeless for two weeks, thinking about suicide, or having attempted suicide in the past, and they are twice as likely to be unhappy. There's a photographer who takes pictures of people on the street who are looking at their phones. In short, they do not look happy. They do not look happy. So every year in a meaningless ritual, Congress calls the leaders of social media up, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, but from all of the places, and just rips into them. And the Democrats rip into them, and the Republicans rip into them. Everybody has a great time ripping into them, showing off. And I guess they can then go on their shows and do the bites, you know, the, the uh, clips that they put out to promote how tough they were on Mark Zuckerberg. And, they, and every year they do absolutely nothing. And the Zuckerbergs, the people, the Zuckerberg people, the social media people, they know that these guys don't know, wouldn't know an algorithm if it came up and bit them on their backsides, right? They have no idea what they're talking about. So they know they're not going to do anything. Also, they want the money and the don't, you know, they, they're just doing it for show. And in this one particular, the, the audience was filled with parents whose children had died or at least been badly damaged by their social media use. And now, of course, teenagers are at an emotionally vulnerable place. And I'm not saying that media has to be a nursery place, but the, the, the Wall Street Journal has done excellent work showing the way these places work. And TikTok is especially bad because the Chinese are using it to destroy us. But, you know, they, they do things like they allow sexual predators to link up with one another and get these networks where they're passing information back and forth. They take children and they, you know how if you just leave your TikTok playing, it will take you from one clip to another. You have to direct it, but still it will guide you. Well, you like this, maybe you'll like this. All social media does this. And basically it takes them down a path specifically designed to become sexualized. And the sex, of course, is not clean, let's get married and have sex. That's not what they're, they're selling at all. They get, they're these warnings. They took this down, but there used to be a warning that would say something like, oh, if you press this button, this could lead you to pedophile material. Do you want to go on? <laughs> it's like that. So they're not, they're not out there helping people. And Mark Zuckerberg, there's something wrong with the guy. I, I wish... I wish I had a supercut. I wish I had the power to make a supercut of Mark Zuckerberg apologizing. Because no matter what they accuse him of, he's like, I, I really, I take responsibility. We could do better. We could do better. And then he doesn't do anything. It doesn't change anything. And now he actually went up in front of the Senate committee and told them that there is no scientific proof that this stuff is damaging, that social media is damaging to young people. Here he is defending himself. Cut six. Overall, teens tell us that this is a positive part of their lives. But some face challenges online. So we work hard to provide parents and teens support and controls to reduce potential harms. We've invested more than $20 billion in this since 2016, including around $5 billion in the last year alone. The difficult reality is that no matter how much we invest or how effective our tools are, there are always more, there's always more to learn and more improvements to make. So, and let's just play Josh Hawley. Josh, Josh Hawley, God love me, tore him a new one, tore Zuckerberg a new one. But still, it's all for show. Here's clip seven. Your These own are, study says that you make life worse for one in three teenage girls. You increase no, Senator, anxiety and depression. Says. That's what it says. And you're here testifying to us in public that there's no link. You've been doing this for years. For years, you've been coming in public and testifying under oath that there's absolutely no link. Your product is wonderful. The science is nascent. Full speed ahead. While internally, you know full well your product is a disaster for teenagers. 
So, they, you know, they end up by saying, what we have to do is we have to let people sue you so that you'll have to protect yourself to stop lawsuits. How about passing a law? Does, do these guys know that they, they're, they're allowed to do that? Do they know they're allowed to pass laws? If they have such a bipartisan agreement, why not pass a law that says when you sell an app, the kids' parents have to be notified? You know, that teenagers, little people, can't buy apps without, being, without some kind of check on their actions. But here's the thing, okay? So this, this stuff is making people sad. But women are more sad. Women are more depressed. They're more depressed and they're more left-wing. And this is a big deal. Normally, time cohorts, you know, people who are the same age, are kind of the same. Like you have a, a liberal generation and you have a conservative generation, usually. And there's, a, yeah, there's always a, a difference between men and women, but it's not always that big. But now... There is a worldwide, worldwide, there is a political gender gap. Here's a little bit from Forbes. In countries on every continent, an ideological gap has opened up between young men and women. In the U.S., Gallup data shows that after decades where the sexes were each spread roughly equally across liberal and conservative worldviews, women aged 18 to 30 are now 30 percentage points more liberal than their male contemporaries. The gap took just six years to open up. So why? Well, you know what you're going to hear from the media, right? Because the media is corrupt and stupid, right? And so here's what they say. Most experts and experts who are also corrupt and stupid agree that the rapid swing to the left among young women is tied to a series of major political events that had an especially strong impact on members of their gender, including the election of Donald Trump, the Me Too movement, and the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. Each of these events, experts argue, made political debates over gender issues much more personal and motivating for women. But the, the thing is, they're saying that women support abortion rights, they hate Donald Trump, and they're furious about the Me Too movement. But the question is, are they right? That's the question. In other words, sometimes people are doing and supporting the very things that make them depressed. So no one mentions the fact, for instance, experts, these experts don't mention the fact that women are being told they don't exist. They can't have sports without a man beating them. They can't change clothes in a locker room with a man, without a man pretending to be a woman watching them and having experts tell them that they're evil if they, don't, if they object. You know, men have been told not to take care of them, and women have been told, as Carol Markowitz was saying, Women have been told not to want men to take care of them. Maybe that's why they're depressed. You know, this is the moment for conservatives to reach out to women, not with trad wife, you know, cosplay, but with real feminine values that real women recognize. And instead, instead, we have this strutting Andrew. I, I I'm, I'm only using Andrew Tate as a place marker because I know he's kind of going out of style. But still, the very fact that we could fall for this pimp really drives me nuts. The thing is, if, if we are not offering them the image that Travis Kelsey presents, we're not offering them anything. And instead, they're looking at Donald Trump, and there's a good reason why Donald Trump frightens them, but it's not what the left thinks it is. So let's take a look at that. One of our sponsors today is Donors Trust, the principled, tax-friendly way to simplify your charitable giving. If you want to leverage private dollars to help those who have fallen on hard times, or maybe you donate to your place of worship or charities hit hard by rising costs, you can create a giving account that will enable you to give to your church and help you give to charities defending American prosperity and civil liberties like free speech. I said this during a speech at Hillsdale. Everywhere, speech is under threat. You have to speak up and fight back. That's the main thing, and everybody has the power to do that because everybody has the power to speak. You can speak up with your charitable dollars and let Donors Trust help. Donors Trust is a community of givers where everyone is committed to sharing his or her hard-earned dollars with nonprofits making our nation a freer, more prosperous place. Visit DonorsTrust.org slash Clavin to download the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and discover how a charitable investment account with Donors Trust could jumpstart your giving, reduce your taxable income, and help save America. DonorsTrust.org slash Clavin to download your giving guide. Again, that's DonorsTrust.org slash K-L-A-V-A-N. Chapter three, Me Too baloney. So let's look at the Me Too movement just for an example of this. One thing is absolutely certain. Me Too was an attempt to get Donald Trump. The whole Me Too movement was really 
started by the, just the urge to bring down Donald Trump. The left spent years defending the depredations of Bill Clinton, including a very plausible charge of rape from Juanita Broderick. You all remember the journalist who said, I would happily put on my presidential knee pads in order to preserve abortion rights. In other words, she would give him oral sex to preserve abortion rights, for those who don't know what presidential knee pads means. We know, we know that ABC, where Clinton aide George Stephanopoulos is one of the top newsmen, though he has no journalistic experience, we know they killed the Epstein story. We know that from the Amy Robach tape that was released, right? I've played it a million times. I'm not going to play it again. And that was basically, you know, just thrown away. We don't know what George Stephanopoulos had to do with it, but we know that they covered up Epstein. We know that NBC, owned by Universal, tried to kill the Harvey Weinstein story. We know that because of the Ronan Farrow book. They did it to protect their Hollywood interests. They didn't care that Harvey was raping women. They didn't didn't care. They knew, but they covered it up. We know that CBS had to pay $30 million to shareholders for covering up their president, Les Moonves' abuse of women, and Charlie Rose was working at CBS too, and there were other uh, you know, high-level network talent abusing women. They covered it all up. But, but when Trump made nasty remarks, caught on, caught on tape about women, suddenly women poured into the streets with their pink hats. Suddenly there was a woman's march. It's now an annual event because Trump made nasty remarks because Trump has a big mouth and he has no manners. That's why, you know, women don't like that. But all of the other stuff was covered up. ABC, NBC, CBS, every one of them covered up the abuse of women. The Me Too reckoning was meant for one thing, the Brett Kavanaugh, to keep Brett Kavanaugh off the Supreme Court and to bring down Donald Trump. So now E. Jean Carroll accused Trump of raping her in a Bergdorf's dressing room sometime in the 90s. She doesn't remember what year it was, but what's one year, you know, what, what, why does that matter? The de- details, details, right? She brought this uh, accusation under a law that rescinded the statute of limitations for a period of time, which was passed in order to get Donald Trump. That was why they passed this law. I'm sure that's a violation of due process. I, I, I think when Trump appeals this case, that's going to be the argument, because I don't think, you know, the the decision against him was absurd, but still, I think that it's this law that's going to ruin it for them. Now, the court, the original jury said he didn't rape her, but he may have sexually abused her, and they gave him her some money, but the judge said, no, it was rape. I declare, the jury doesn't matter, I just declare it was rape, screw the jury, and when Trump denied it and started to say she was loopy and she was making stuff up, she sued him again for defamation, this time with an activist lesbian lawyer named Roberta Kaplan, Robbie Kaplan, who used to work in the same law firm as the judge in the case, never, but didn't reveal that, and has a history of going after Trump. She sues Trump for absurd stuff. She blamed him for Charlottesville. She did all kinds of things. And this is what she said as she was telling the jury what, their, what the award, Trump lost this lawsuit, was found to have defamed her, and she had asked for $5 million. And this is what Robbie Kaplan said. A billionaire like Donald Trump could pay a million dollars a day for 10 years and still have money left in the bank. With that sort of extreme wealth, it will take an unusually high punitive damages award to have any hope of stopping Donald Trump. This is not about women any more than gay rights is about gays, any more than the transgender movement is about transgenderism. It is always about leftism. It's not about Harvey or Epstein or Clinton or ABC, CBS, and NBC, those hives of covering up abusers. It's not about any of those people. It's just about stopping Trump because he's a threat to their power. So now, E. Jean Carroll has won her defamation lawsuit Asked for $5 million, she is awarded over $80 million. An absurd, just an absurd, really. It cost CBS $30 million to cover up for Les Moonves. $80 million for something that might have happened in the 90s some year or other. She told the New York Times, I'm not going to waste a cent of this. She said, we're going to do something good with it. And she clarified the good she was going to do in talking to Rachel Maddow. This is cut eight. You've talked about using some of... 
Trump's money that you're about to get um, to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be, what that might look like? Yes, or, Rachel. Yes. Tell me. I had such, such great ideas <laughs> for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel, you and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely <laughs> new wardrobes, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? It's yours, Nothing. Rachel. Penthouse and uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing nope. in France? No? Oh. All right. All right. Okay. That's a joke. All right. All right. Okay. That's a joke. Yeah. That's yeah, I love the lawyer. That's that's a joke. Very uncomfortable. Even Rachel looks incredibly uncomfortable during this. But you know, my my question is this: the Me Too movement, the real Me Too movement, that convinces women that they're victims, while it abuses them and covers up those those abuses, is that what's depressing women, or is it the narrative being created by a massive leftist machine meant to bring down Donald Trump and maintain leftist power? It convinces them that the people who cover up Clinton and Epstein and their friends are, are their friends, but the strong husbands who want to guide and guard them and protect them are a threat to them. That's the leftist narrative. That is the leftist narrative. And you know what? If that narrative didn't work, they'd use another one. They do not care. Nothing they say matters. Only the power matters. What do you think is depressing women? So let's go back to Carol Markowitz talking about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, cut two. It's crazy, but these stereotypes of men have gone so overboard and they become so accepted that way too many women believe them. Men are trash is an entirely acceptable thing that women say and really don't get any pushback. And what's crazy is it only hurts women. With accepting that lie, more women have remained single. The share of never married women increased 20% over the last decade. It's a high number. And yes, I think it's because what they actually like, what they want in a man, the kind of guy that does it for them, is the manly stereotype that they're taught not to want. That's the whole point of the Me Too movement in a way. It's that Trump, you know, is, is, is a manly character. There's no doubt about it. He's very, you know, he's hyper aggressive, and, but, but masculine. There's no, no question about that. That is a threat, that that guy is not going to take care of you, that that guy is going to cheat on you. And, you know, obviously Trump is no good example of manhood. I'm not holding up an example of manhood, but he is at least a man. Women have been convinced that they have to fight for abortion so that they can sleep around without consequences and against me too because men are trash. As Carol says, men are trash. fine that you can say that. Men are trash. And that's because the left owns the culture. And, and you see, this is, this is the thing about the culture. Fighting, winning the culture and winning at politics are two different things, but they flow together. It's not the same thing. You know, yes, it is an urgent political necessity to stop doctors from cutting the body parts off children to fulfill a sexual fantasy of the left. Yes, that is an urgent political goal. But it's not an urgent political goal to hate people and scream at people and tell them that they're, they're sick and stink. And to tell them that it's a conspiracy theory if Taylor Swift, a pop star, wants to vote for Joe Biden. God bless her. Let her vote for anybody she wants and sing her songs and have her successes. But the imagery, the things that go into people's hearts and heads, that's what the left has been working on for 60 years. For 60 years, they've seized the mechanism for that. So when you are attacking lady ballers, when you're attacking Ben for doing a rap song, when you're attacking people for trying to bring creative joy and visual uh, truth into the world, you're actually shooting yourself in the foot. You know, I always say the future is male, and I say the future is male because men will invent it. That's just going to be what happens. But the health of the future, the spiritual health of the future is women. And they're the living factories of humankind, and not just physically, but spiritually too. And that's what I, how I want to sum this up by visiting four quotations of people who existed at, on the hinge of history, that moment when something ends and something new has to begin. 
You know, a lot of guys don't get help for their problems because guys are idiots and they like to keep things to themselves. But Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable and discreet sexual health treatments, all from the comfort of your home. Hims provides access to clinically proven generic alternatives that are up to 95% cheaper with options as low as two bucks per dose. The process is simple, 100% online, meaning you don't have to endure any uncomfortable doctor's visits. Simply go to hymns.com slash Clavin and answer a series of questions on their site. One of their medical providers will determine the right treatment option for you. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. Hims doesn't require insurance. You'll pay one low price for your treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. Hims has hundreds of thousands of trusted subscribers. So if ED is getting you down, it's time to change that. Start your free online visit today at hims.com slash Claven. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash Claven for your personalized ED treatment options. Again, that's hims.com slash K-L-A-V-A-N. You got to know how to spell it. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Final chapter for quotations. So I'm, I'm always interested in these people who live through these cultural transitions. I mean, if you were born in 1900 in England, you were born at the height of one of the greatest civilizations, maybe the greatest civilization that has ever existed on Earth, not just the British Empire, but if you take Europe as a whole, you were born at a time of incredible hope, of incredible progress, of incredible scientific inventions. You would have just thought, like, this is, this is it. This is, we are here. We have arrived. The singularity has arrived. Within 14 years, Europe was wiped off the face of the map. It took, it took till 1945. It took 30 years, two world wars. But that civilization was gone. The Europe that exists today is not that Europe. It is gone, just like the Rome that exists today is not Rome. You know, these changes come with incredible suddenness, and the peak is very close to the nadir. The peak is very close to the bottom. And I'm just always interested in these people who live through these things because a lot of times, as I said at the beginning, they're the guys you have to look to for a smooth transition. So Winston Churchill was in one of the last actual cavalry charges, right? He was an Omdurman, I think it was uh, called, and he was in a cavalry charge, but he's also the guy who had the wisdom to use tanks during World War One, and he was the guy at, six, at 60 in his 60s who guided Britain and in some sense the world through World War II because he carried those Victorian values into the new world. And while other people were trying to figure out what changes were going on and how to hold on to the a world that was passing away, he understood what he had to fight for. Because what old people know is they know the things that are eternal because they've seen everything else pass away. So why does the fight in a transition always end up centering around women? Now, I read a book recently. It was written in 1930. 34. I was reading through it. It's kind of hard to read word by word, but I was reading through it. It's by an English social anthropologist called Sex and Culture. Really interesting book. And it studies what happens to all kinds of cultures according to their sexual codes. And just to give you a, a quick summary of what he says, he says that chastity outside of marriage and what he calls absolute monogamy, which means monogamy for both men and women, not just for women, causes cultures to flourish if it is kept in place for three generations. After three generations of that being the basic code of ethics, a culture will exceed others in every possible area. And if these restraints are taken away and sexual looseness comes about, then three generations later, the society will collapse. And he shows this happening again and again. And he points out in these cultures that cultures where that have ultimate monogamy absolute monogamy and chastity, they tend to devalue the rights of women, and that becomes intolerable for women, and women want to break three, and, and that's when things start to unravel. Four quotations. The first quotation is from a book by a guy named Stefan Zweig, which I recommend highly. It's called The World of Yesterday. Zweig was one of the most popular writers in Europe in the 20s and 30s, and now he's only remembered for this one book. It's a memoir of living through his times. And he was one of these guys I'm talking about. He was born in Vienna in 1881 at the height of the European century in Austro-Hungarian Empire is at its height. And it's hard to convey how wonderful this culture seemed to people. They thought Europe is going to become pan-Europe. It's going to become one nation. 
and there's going to be all those wars that we've lived through for a thousand years are going to disappear. It's going to be absolute peace and prosperity. Leo Tolstoy, a brilliant, brilliant man, was saying, oh, the era of love is coming. Nothing can stop it. Within 33 years of, uh, of Zweig's, uh, Zweig's birth, World War I erupted for no reason. It was just carelessness, recklessness. You know, the soldiers marched off thinking it was going to be uh, an adventurous lark and they'd be home in weeks and wiped Europe. Uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire ended. It wiped Europe off the face of the earth. Russia became communist. A uh, generation of men was wiped out. And another couple of decades, not very long, Hitler rose and Zweig, who was Jewish, had to flee the Europe that he thought was going to be his home forever. Uh, he escaped to Brazil with his wife, where they both committed suicide because the world they knew and loved had disappeared. So here he is talking to a generation that came along after World War I. And he talks in his book about how painful it was to have a sex life as a young person in this Victorian Austro-Hungarian world. There was prostitutes everywhere, and a woman could live her whole life without ever seeing her own body, without ever seeing her own naked body, because that's how restrained they were. And everybody was so restrained, and there was all this shame and all this stuff. And he looked at the young people after World War I who were sexually liberated, and he thought it was wonderful. And this is what he said to them. He said, we had more freedom in the political sense than the present generation. We were able to devote ourselves to our art, to our intellectual inclinations. We were able to mold our private existence with more individual personality, no one questioned us as to our beliefs, as to our origin, race, or religion. I do not deny that we had immeasurably more individual freedom, and we not only cherished it, but made use of it as well. We lived better and tasted more of the world, but the youth of today lives and experiences its own youth more consciously. When today I see boys and girls in free, untroubled companionship without false modesty and false shame, it seems as if not 40 but a thousand years stand between them and us who, in order to procure or to receive love, always had to seek shadows and hiding places. When I read that, when I read that book, I thought, Stefan, no, you don't see what's happening. What he was looking at was the end of Europe. He didn't know it because it was fun. It was happy. The people were happier. They were happier than they were in Victorian England. Here's another book, very similar quote, Vera Britton, another, this is one of my favorite memoirs of all time, Testament of Youth by Vera Britton, a, a woman I'm sure I would have dis, just hated, uh, very bullshy feminist and pacifist, but she was a, an extraordinarily brave nurse during World War I in, in war zones. Uh, an intelligent woman, she loved reading, and when she came of age, it was time for her to get married. She was sent off to a little town called Buxton, and she hated it because all she wanted to do was study to go to university, and that's not what women were supposed to do. So while she was trying to study, she found, quote, I was bombarded with infuriating requests to help with jumble sales, wait at bizarre teas, play in amateur theatricals, and take the place of tiresome individuals who had fallen out of a game of bridge. Girls who now, as a matter of course, prepare themselves for college in the comparatively peaceful seclusion of school have no idea how strenuously each uninterrupted hour had to be fought for in the restless, critical, busy, busy atmosphere of a pre-war provincial town. And once again, when I read that, I thought, I'm sure every mom, every at-home mom knows exactly what she's talking about, the round of social things that people put together so that children may thrive, grow up, and get married and create more children. And you do that for three generations, your society blooms. But if you don't fit in that, this woman just hated this. She hated the limited role of women. And even she admitted she came from a place where the, of prosperity that her generation would never see again. The war, the story of Testament of Youth is heartbreaking because she watches everything she loves destroyed. The role of sex in culture, which is essentially the dispensation of women. Where are the women going to go? How are the women going to give their bodies? Remember, because the, for us, guys, sex is a little while. For them, it can be nine months and then a lifetime of taking care of a child. But where the women go determines the freedom and greatness of the society, but also can hamper the happiness of individuals if the restrictions become too tight. This is a material, this is almost a Marxist explanation in the sense that it's purely material, not moral. I'm not talking about morality at all. I'm talking about the effects on human beings. The great plans for the betterment of society that people make are really not to the point. These guys who have the new plan, the great resets, and the new ideas of the great society, everything's going to be great, 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 never works. Leo Tolstoy, greatest novelist ever, War and Peace, Anna Karenina, he had a religious conversion to a, a, 
it was Christianity, but it was an anarchic, non-miraculous, kind of pacifist version of the religion that I don't agree with. But he was a very wise, intelligent man, and he wrote some really beautiful things. And this was his advice to people toward the end of his life. Cease participating in the various organizations whose aim is supposedly to further the welfare of the masses and seek only that one thing that is always necessary and within the reach of us all and which gives the greatest well-being to ourselves and is the most likely thing to enhance the welfare of our neighbors. Seek this one thing within yourselves, an increase of love through eradicating all the mistakes, sins, and passions which hinder its manifestation, and you will further the well-being of the people in the most effective way. He's telling you to seek, not my Christian self, but your Christian self, the image of God, not me. Seek it in you. Not in the people you disagree with. Seek it in you. He's telling you that these great plans mean nothing, but your life means nothing. Everything. History is going to unfold now at a quicker pace. The world is seriously changing, and it could be violent. There could be violence before this old world passes away and gives way to a new world. But over time, what is going to change everything is the people you make yourself into and the choices those people make. You know, Stephen Zweig said this. He said, he said, if morality gives man freedom, then the state confines him. If the state permits him freedom, morality attempts to enslave him. You have to choose. Everything you do is going to have a price. The choices made in the hearts of individuals will determine what the clowns in Davos and the clowns in D.C. and all the people with big plans do. Here's one final quote, the fourth quote from C.S. Lewis. When Jesus died in the wounded world, he died not for men, but for each man. If each man had been the only man made, he would have done no less. If you can understand that, you can put your anger away. If you can understand that it's not about the guy next to you, it's not about the people in Davos, it's not about the people in, in D.C., it is about you. The choices made in the hearts of individuals will guide them to the choices that should be made, which will drag the leaders of the country to the world you want. The old world is not coming back. The new world won't be made in Davos or D.C. It will be made in the hearts of women and in the hearts of men who love them. It's Groundhog Day, and the groundhog might be surprised by a shadow, but you don't have to be surprised by yours. It's Groundhog Day, and you... Oh, I don't have to repeat that. Control, control your shadow this Groundhog Day with Jeremy's Razors. This Groundhog Day, Jeremy's Razors is offering 15% off the Founder's Kit, which can be your choice between the Precision 5 or Smooth 6 razors. The Founder's Kit is a one-stop shop for your shaving needs. Razors, shave cream, and post-shave balm, and a nice travel bag. Make sure you go to jeremysrazors.com to get your Founder's Kit for 15% off today. In a day and age where we can trust a groundhog more than scientists to predict the climate, it's nice you can trust Jeremy's razors to deliver a great shave every time. It's Groundhog Day and you, oh, I won't do that again. All right, Clavin Clapbacks. Woo! Here's two today. <laughs> It's your president, ladies and gentlemen. Clavin Clapbacks, comment, disagree, or get it right. Clavin Clapbacks, both spelled with a K, K-L-A-V-A-N, and Clapbacks, K-L-A-P-Backs at DailyWire.com. Clavin Clapbacks at DailyWire.com. From Andrew, for the same reason I can't watch Dave Rubin anymore, I had to fast forward through your segment with your son Spencer. If he was simply gay, I could watch, but he's a gay man married to another man. He is living in direct opposition to the word of God. I love your podcast and will continue to listen. I know you will roll your eyes at this, but I wish you would not. To have Spencer on your show pretending to be a Christian is just too much for me to watch. All right, first, let me um, correct two things that are simply false. One is I won't roll my eyes. I understand this is a complicated issue and a, an emotional issue and a serious issue, and I don't roll my eyes at all. Don't think that I'm thinking, ah, you know, you're so unsophisticated. That's, that's not what I think at all. The second thing is to say that Spencer is pretending to be a Christian is simply un, unscriptural and wrong. Uh, he, he believes in Christ. He's faithful to Christ. He believes in the incarnation, the resurrection. He prays to God. You may think he's a Christian uh, in a state of sin, Introduce me to a Christian not in a state of sin, and I'll be happy to make the comparison. So here's, here's the thing about this. Let's, let's not argue the issue. Let's just assume you're right. Let's just take it from your point of view. 
I, I talked to Carl Truman once on the show, very brilliant guy, Christian guy, talking, who talks a lot about this and about the uh, way that the left has twisted sexual morality. And I said to him, you know, I lived through a period. Now, I'm an artist, so I've had a lot of gay friends and a lot of gay co-workers and a lot of people that I who have been true, deep friends of mine. And, of course, Spencer, although my attitudes were set long before he was uh, came out as gay. But I, I said to Carl Truman, you know, I lived through a time when you could be arrested for being gay. And, and this is better. This is a better time for, I think, for everybody in the sense that in the sense that I don't think people should be arrested for being gay. And I would much rather my son as somebody in his life that he loves than has to go out or goes out and uh, meets people, strangers, and does things that he shouldn't do that are degrading to him and disease-ridden and just bad in every sense of the word. This is a better world. How do you reconcile the fact that this is better, that this part of the world, not all of the world, but this part of the world is better for people, with what you're saying. And Truman said, you know, these things have to be worked out as you have worked them out in between individuals. So my question for you is, without arguing your point, just agreeing with you, what, what would you do, do you think? Carp constantly at, at your son? If, 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 you, if I felt what you felt, just assuming this, uh, which I don't, I disagree with you, but, that, but that's all right. Let's just assume I do. Should I carpet him constantly? Should I reject him? Should I take away his father? Should, should I make his life a misery every time he sees me? Is, is that really what I should do? If he were a mathematician, would you not listen to his ideas on math? Would you not listen? You know, I mean, he's one of the best biblical exegetes I've ever met. You know, do you not want to think, well, maybe I might hear something from him? What, what is, how is your life being affected in, in this regard, that you can't, you actually can't watch this. I'm not telling you to watch it. I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just a- asking the question. I truly believe that the work that has changed me through my faith in Christ has been done by God. It's been done by God, and I have slowly changed. And I have done things in my found things in my life that didn't bother me. That started to bother me. I stopped doing them, so I could go back to God and say, "Well, you so, seem to tell me not to do that." So I stopped. Spencer is an honorable man. Spencer prays to God. I don't know what God's going to tell him because it's not my problem. It's not something I, I have talked to God about a million sins. The subject of homosexuality sexuality has never come up for obvious reasons. So, you know, you know what, what is it you think is the right thing to do? I mean, that would cause more good, more love in the world and in yourself and in your own heart. That's my question. My question is not whether you're right or wrong. We, that's another debate. and we, We'll have that sometime. I'm not afraid to talk about that, but that's not what we're talking about. My question is, what do you want to see? What did you come here to see? Me battering, you know, banging on somebody's head because he lives in a, a different way? I, you know, that, that's, that's what I don't understand. All right, if you are not a member, you are about to be plunged into a kind of darkness that's indescribable. It goes beyond language because that's how dark it is. You can't even see the language with which to describe it. That's why you should become a member today. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Claven at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Remember, I could fall down the stairs again anytime. So go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code Claven at checkout. The rest of you come to member block.